Thank you for joining us for this podcast of the Family Fellowship of Greenville, located in Greenville, Texas. If you'd like more information about our church, please log on to www.familyfellowship.us or email us at info at familyfellowship.us. Now here's lead pastor, Paul Blue. Good morning, everyone. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Judges chapter 10. Judges chapter 10. And so we continue today uh, this series on overcoming the victim mentality. And, and you've obviously you've looked at the bulletin, and so you've seen the message topic, which is overcoming family instability. And many of you are wondering if I can personally relate to dysfunction. Most of you, you've heard my story before, but there's always a few that maybe have not. Uh, and so I will share with you that I was a drug baby. I was drugged to church Sunday morning. I was drugged to church Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday visitation, Saturday cleaning and mowing and groundskeeping. So I was always at church. And so the truth is, when it comes to talking about family dysfunction, family instability, for those of you that you're struggling with that, you're in the middle of it. It's all you've ever known. I, I'm just right up front. I'm telling you, I cannot relate to you. And there's a reason. The reason that I've never experienced family instability or dysfunction is because I was raised by a mom and a dad who had every excuse and opportunity to be victims of it, but chose instead to be victors. My mom. You, most of the time you get my dad's story. My, my mom, her dad left when she was 15 or 16. He was a traveling salesman, and he had another woman that he uh, had begun to have a relationship with. And so my mom dealt with that in her later high school years. Uh, I probably, in all of my life, maybe saw my mom's dad two times. It was just it was a, it was a bad situation. It was a, the way that he left, and all that was just bad. And so he was someone that was not a part of our lives, and he was not really a part of my mom's life. My dad, on the, other ha- on the other hand, his dad left them when my dad was five years old. My dad's mom then raised him, if you want to call it that. Um, she would often prostitute herself for money. Uh, if a man came along that promised her the world, she would take off with him and drop my dad and his two brothers off in an orphanage. Some of you, you've seen the movie Secondhand Lions, which is a fabulous movie. I cannot recommend it highly enough. But part of the story of Secondhand Lions is, is, is about these, these two uncles, older uncles, that were good, solid men that a, a, a mom dropped her son off with them because she had found another man. And Lynn and I and our kids, we've probably watched Secondhand Lions 40 or 50 times. It's just one of our favorites. It's, it's just a sweet-hearted movie. But I knew that that movie was a lot like my dad, the, the, the lady in there. And so I, my parents were over one night, and so we watched that together. And for those of you that, that you know the movie, when it came time that she dropped him off with those two uncles and drove off, and she was going to go to court reporting school, but as the movie revealed, she had found another man. She went to Las Vegas. When that part of the movie came up, she drove off, sitting over on our love seat. My dad began to well up. And he just blurted out, that's Pauline Blue, which was his mom. 
Those uncles that she would often leave him with, well, sometimes she would drop him off at the orphanage. Sometimes um, she would drop him off with her brothers, my dad's uncles, two uncles that sexually abused my dad and his two brothers as kids. Ultimately, my mom kicked my dad out of their house when he was 16. He was on his own after that and would have been, of course, a, a casualty of his upbringing. But Jesus... Jesus stepped in and, and did that, that miracle that only he can do uh, in, in my dad's life. It would have been super easy for my mom and my dad both to have blamed the world, blamed their family, blamed everyone around them, and chose to live in the victim mentality because of their family instability and their family dysfunction. But they chose to be victors, not victims. And because of that, myself, my brother, and my sister, we don't know. Family dysfunction. We've never experienced it. I use that word and we've used it in this series. My parents made the choice. And some of you, as we've gone through this series and we've talked about being a victim in, in, in different areas, some of you, you haven't really liked it that much. You don't like that it's a, that, that I keep saying that it's a choice to get out of the victim mentality. And I think the reason is because you're clutching Onto your victim mentality like a child holds a security blanket. It's become who you are. It's become your identity. But you're choosing it to be so. You can make the choice to get out of the victim mentality that you've been living in for I don't care how long. So many of you, you've experienced multiple levels and layers of family instability. But you don't have to live in it. You can overcome. You can be victorious. And we're going to see that happen in Judges chapter 10 and chapter 11 in the life of a man by the name of Jephthah. So in Judges chapter 10, we're going to begin reading in verse 6. It says, again, the Israelites did evil, <clears throat> excuse me, in the Lord's sight. They served the images of Baal and Ashtoreth and the gods of Aram, Sidon, Moab, Ammon, and Philistia. They abandoned the Lord and no longer served him at all. So the Lord burned with anger against Israel and he turned them over to the Philistines and the Ammonites, who began to oppress them that year. For 18 years they oppressed all the Israelites east of the Jordan River in the land of the Amorites, that is, in Gilead. Verse 15. But the Israelites pleaded with the Lord and said, We have sinned. Punish us as you see fit. Only rescue us today from our enemies. Then the Israelites put aside their foreign gods and served the Lord, and he was grieved by their misery. So Israel, as we keep seeing week after week, they were oppressed, this time 18 years, by the Ammonites and the Philistines. And now the Ammonites have prepared to attack Israel. And as a result, Israel needs a leader. They need a victor. And we're going to see three things in the life of this man by the name of Jephthah. about As he goes about overcoming the victim mentality due to his family instability. And we're going to hopefully apply those things to us this morning as well. So three things, three truths on overcoming family instability. The first is this. Victors understand that family instability doesn't determine our usability. Our instability doesn't determine our usability. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad not only that God can use people from dysfunctional family backgrounds, but that he wants to use people from dysfunctional family backgrounds? My dad, <clears throat> excuse me served faithfully as the pastor of this church for 30 years. And the truth is, if this church back then would have known how dysfunctionally he grew up, 
they may not have called him as their pastor. But thank God that God doesn't look at us for what we have been or what's been done to us, but instead for what he has created us to do to accomplish for his glory. And we get to see this play out in the life of Jephthah. So let's go to the next chapter, chapter 11, <clears throat> verse 1. Now, Jephthah of Gilead was a great warrior. And I'm just going to stop there. Because if you do often, you begin to try to process the story slowly along as you read. And we see that this, this man, Jephthah, that I'm telling you is our, our central focus and is someone who has to overcome the victim mentality. You may be thinking, that doesn't sound like a victim to me. I mean, we, the first thing we read is that he is a great warrior. How, how is he a victim? Well, we've got to keep reading. So verse 1, Jephthah of Gilead was a great warrior. He was the son of Gilead, but his mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife. Anybody seen a problem yet? We've got a triangle, a love triangle here. Gilead's wife also had several sons. And when these half-brothers grew up, they chased Jephthah off the land. You will not get any of our father's inheritance, they said, for you are the son of a prostitute. I'm not exactly sure that's how they worded it, by the way. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Soon he had a band of worthless rebels following him. Jephthah's mother was a prostitute. Gilead had a wife. He's a married man that steps out on his wife. He has a son with the prostitute. He also has sons with his wife. So we've got a family that is dysfunctional. It's obvious here that the father is the one that's raising Jephthah. And then verse 2 brings up where the brothers say, you're not going to get any of our father's inheritance. And they push him off the land. Here's what we have to gather from that. One, either... His father had just died, and that's why the inheritance is coming up in conversation, or his father is dying. Either way, you have Jephthah, whose half-brothers hate him, whose real mother he doesn't know, his stepmother, every time she looks at Jephthah, she is reminded of her husband's unfaithfulness. And you have a mess. Real dysfunction going on here. And now, either his father is about to die or he has died. Kids are cruel. Brothers especially. They've thrown him out of the house. No doubt, through their whole lives, they've called him many names. I mean, here we get that they called him son of a prostitute. And again, I'm just thinking... That doesn't sting like what brothers would say, right? Uh, his whole life they've called him names. The illegitimate one. The bastard son. Whore boy. Or whatever you want to come up with. And so he's now exiled from his family and his people. But God doesn't determine Jephthah's usability by his family instability. And here's what I want you to get. I'm giving away the end of the story. God is going to use Jephthah. Look, I don't know what your family circumstances are. You may have been abused. Cheated on, your spouse walked out, maybe your children have turned their backs on you, your family has disowned you. I don't know. Here's what I do know. Your family instability doesn't determine your value or your usability to God. Second thing we see, second truth is this. <clears throat> Victors understand that time is often the medicine that God uses to help us recover from family pain. 
Lynn, would you get me some water? My, for something's going on, I might tell my throat's wanting to quit on me this morning, which means church is going to be really short if we don't fix that. Victors understand that time is often the medicine that God uses to help us recover from family pain. Look at verse 4. At about this time, the Ammonites began their war against Israel. So it starts off and it says, about this time. And, and I don't think this probably isn't the best translation. Most other Bibles instead say either after a while or in the process of time or something similar. I think it's pretty safe to assume that Jephthah, after being dumped by his family, felt worthless, unloved, insignificant, probably felt sorry for himself, and feeling as if God had forgotten about him. But God hadn't forgotten about him. And when you're going through something similar, thank you, God hasn't forgotten about you either. I know how our, how our emotions work on us and how they make us feel about who we are because of someone else's rejection of us. But God hasn't forgotten about you. What we often miss, and what probably never occurred to Jephthah was this. This process of time that Jephthah went through and that we often go through is actually proof that God does care. You see, God is giving us the time that we need to deal with the pain that was caused by our family instability. You see, in this process of time, I, I think what we think often is, is that in this process of time, we're praying that God will work in the lives of our family that caused us pain, right? But it may be that it's in this process of time that God's wanting to do a work in us giving us the time to decide whether or not we're going to be a victim or a victor. No doubt some of you here today, either now or in your past, you felt abandoned or forgotten by family. And you've been left wondering if God even knew what was going on. And you need to consider that God may be placing you in your own process of time and what we've got to remember is this our process of time is only a waste of time if we use it to wallow in our victim mentality every great victor has their own process of time moses had a process of time david had a process of time the apostle paul had a process of time the reason that there are so many people living in the victim mentality today is because they aren't willing to be faithful in the process of time they don't use it to be faithful and, and to allow God to do a work in them. They spend their time wallowing in their victim mentality, waiting for God to change somebody else. And you know what? You have zero ability to change anybody else. The only person you can do anything about is you as you allow God to work in you. Third, victors understand that just because they've been hurt by family doesn't mean they have the right to hurt family in return. Look at verse 5. When the Ammonites attacked, the elders of Gilead sent for Jephthah in the land of Tob. The elders said, come and be our commander. Help us fight the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to them, aren't you the ones who hated me and drove me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? Here's, I'm going to keep reading, but let me just say, apparently, some of the elders are his half-brothers. Because he's, he's directly addressing them. Verse 8. Because we need you. 
the elders replied. If you lead us in battle against the Ammonites, we will make you ruler over all the people of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders, let me get this straight. If I come with you and if the Lord gives me victory over the Ammonites, will you really make me ruler over all the people? The Lord is our witness, the elders replied. We promise to do whatever you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him their ruler and commander of the army. So the Israelites see in the distance the Ammonites preparing for battle. And they realize we don't have a victor among us. We don't have anyone who can be a strong leader for us in battle. And so they gather and they have a meeting. What are we going to do? Who do we have? We don't have anybody. And someone says, what about Jephthah? Somebody else says, we can't ask him. After what we, his brothers, did and the rest of you, how none, how none of you stood up for him and how we, we, we just sent him away and all the names we used to call him. There's no way Jephthah would come back and do this for us. But ultimately they realized they had no alternative. One of the things, just a little small lesson that we should remember is that be careful how you treat people because you might need them in the future. So, with no other option, they send some representatives to Jephthah and say, hey, this is what we want. We want you to lead us. And Again, I'd, I'd love to have been in all that in, in all of these meetings and hear these conversations because I'm sure he says, you know, last time we talked, you were kicking me out of town while I was grieving my father. And not one of you said one word in my defense. I haven't heard anything from you, not a call, not an email, not a text, since you kicked me out. And now you have the nerve to come ask me to come lead you in battle. You know what our natural response is in a time like that? I know that you probably don't know. I'll tell you what the natural response is. It's revenge. The natural response when someone has treated us that way and then they decide, oh, well, we made a mistake. We really need you. Our natural response is. This probably is uh, straight out of the actual Greek text up yours. Uh, Now you find yourselves in trouble, right? Well, okay, good for you. I've got my little ragtag bunch of, of rebels here in, in the land of Tob, and and I'm I'm not I'm not worried about you guys. You weren't worried about me. See, the natural response is revenge. It would have been so easy for him to say, "You know what? I'll come do it." But you got to kick my half brothers out first. If you'll just kick them out, send them over to the Ammonites. I'll come lead you. He could have carried his family pain like that. And here's the thing. A lot of us, that is exactly what we do. We carry our family pain. And carrying around family pain is like carrying around your kitchen trash. It's not just the trash that stinks. It begins to make you stink as well. Your life stinks and everyone around you, they smell the stink of your life. And they want to get away. But Jephthah now has agreed to be their leader. And in his process of time, he's learned a few things. 
Two, two, two other things that I, I want you to see in your notes real quick. First is this. Victors try to avoid conflict. Especially when we're talking about family pain. But even, but even overall. It's, it's, it's true overall. Victors try to avoid conflict. Look at verse 12. So now he's been, he's been made their leader. Verse 12. Jephthah sent messengers to the king of Ammon. Remember, that's the, the nation that's coming to, to battle against them. And he asks the king this, why have you come out to fight against my land? The king of Ammon answered Jephthah's messengers. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, they stole my land from the Arnon River to the Jabbok River and all the way to the Jordan. Now then, give back the land peaceably. And Jephthah sent this message back to the Ammonite king. This is what Jephthah says. Israel did not steal any land from Moab or Ammon. Look at verse 26. Israel's been living here for 300 years. Inhabiting Heshbon and its surrounding settlements all the way to Aror and the settlements and in all the towns along the Arnon River. Why have you made no effort to recover it before now? Therefore, I have not sinned against you. Rather, you have wronged me by attacking me. Let the Lord who is judge decide today which of us is right, Israel or Ammon. Jephthah was a warrior. I mean, that's who he was. And he could have easily put together a battle plan and just gone to war. The Ammonites were the ones that started this whole thing. But Jephthah tried to avoid conflict. He attempted to reason with the king based on the facts. But in this case, the facts didn't matter. You know, the truth is there are people in our lives and there are people in our families that thrive on conflict. And this king did. I love chocolate chip cookies. And I'm not just having a, a hunger moment. I have a point, a reason why I say that. I, mean, I can't even begin to communicate my deep affection for chocolate chip cookies. I love them and I need them. Because they fulfill me as long as I have a plate of them. We, we have been, I, I'm, and we don't have any at home today because we've been gone. But you know what would be awesome today? Because I've, we've been gone all week. The staff, we were in Washington, D.C. for a pastor's meeting. And then we took a day and a half and just enjoyed Washington, D.C. And we walked, I don't know what the number was on Steve's Fitbit, 24,000 steps, 11 miles on Thursday alone. We're tired. And then when we got in uh, at 11.30 Friday night, Lynn and I had to get up and drive to Abilene last night to go to a wedding and drove back late last night after the wedding. And we're just tired and Today, I'm going to sit on the couch and watch NFL football and hope that I can get out of last place in my fantasy league. <laughs> and if I just had next to me a plate of chocolate chip cookies, it would be heaven on earth for me. I, I, can't, I cannot even begin to tell you how much I love chocolate chip cookies. And you're thinking, what does this have to do with conflict? Well, another word for conflict today is drama. And the degree to which I love chocolate chip cookies is the, the degree to which some people love drama. Some of you, you love drama as much as I love chocolate chip cookies. Some of you, you have family members that love drama as much as I love chocolate chip cookies. But you know what? Those people are not victors. Only victims love drama and conflict because victors 
try to avoid conflict. And then secondly, but if it can't be avoided, that conflict should be spirit-led. In chapter 11, look at verse 29. At that time, after all that's been said and done, and after Jephthah tries to avoid the conflict by speaking the truth and giving the facts, verse 29, at that time, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mizpah in Gilead, and from there he led an army against the Ammonites, and I'll save you time, they go and defeat and wipe out the Ammonites, and they have peace in Israel again. Yes, the Holy Spirit can lead us In conflict, no matter which part of your family is causing the conflict or or drama, whether it's your spouse or your parents or your children or your brothers and sisters, your uncles, aunts, grandparents, it doesn't make any difference. There will be times that conflict can't be avoided in our families. In those times, we've got to make sure that before we engage or we get engaged in it, we have to ask the Holy Spirit to take control of us to have power over us to get more of us so that we don't make the conflict worse we all face levels of family instability some of you much greater than others me very 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 minor but it could have been so much worse for me and my brother and sister if i didn't have parents who chose to be victors instead of victims if they would have chosen to live in the victim mentality it would have bled over into raising their children. Read this recently. Some of you may have as well. It's an awesome statement. If you never heal from who hurt you, you'll bleed on those that didn't cut you. Say it again. If you never heal from who hurt you, you'll bleed on those who didn't cut you. I want to challenge you today to make the choice to overcome your family instability, your family dysfunction, And extend grace to those who have brought you pain. Don't let your pain bleed over to others, especially your children. Your family instability, your your family dysfunction doesn't determine your value or usability to God. And if the things in your family have been bad for a while, and this is your process of time, it means that God cares and He is doing a work in you. Don't be a victim. Be a victor and overcome your family instability. It is a choice. Let me say it this way. It's your choice. When we use the the term family pain, we don't use the word pain lightly, right? Pain hurts. And, And there's probably no... There's probably no deeper pain than pain that is brought on to us by our family. And that's why it's so easy for us to be victims to it. I challenge you to make the choice to overcome. Use that process of time to let God do the work in you. God can use you God values you. You are a son and a daughter of God. And I love that passage in the Old Testament that says, if father or mother forsake you, the Lord will take you up. God loves you. And he'll use you. But you've got to be a victor. And it's your choice. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning?
a moment we're going to close in a word of prayer and I just want you to know I, I don't know what your situation is and know what your struggle is but I do know that many of you you're, you're in a struggle and you're experiencing some real family pain and we're going to pray for you this morning but I'm not going to pray that God would deal with the people that have caused you pain going to pray that you would today make the choice, make the decision to not wallow in it anymore. You were meant through the power of Jesus Christ to be an overcomer. Sometimes we just have to make the choice. And I hope that you'll do that today. Heavenly Father, I I want to lift up every person in this room today that's right in the middle of family pain, family dysfunction. I also pray for those that have been dealing with it for a long time and they find their process of time to be dragging on and on and on. Lord, for these people, I, I pray that you might help them to realize today that their process of time is going to continue to drag on. Until they make the choice to stop living in the past and to stop living as a victim to their past. Stop seeking revenge or hurt to family in return. But to just take it just like the kitchen trash and throw it away. Just be done with it. For those that are in the middle of it right now, Lord, I pray. shape and mold them, help them to see that you are at work in their life because you love them and you value them and they are usable to you. Above all, God, I just pray that none of us would be ones to settle for being a victim. It affects our witness, our testimony as followers of Jesus Christ shows a negative light on the power of the Holy Spirit because we're not letting him have control of all of us. So Father, help us today to make the choice to acknowledge that we are sons and daughters of God and that while we have no control over our circumstances, we absolutely have control over how we respond. Pray, Lord, that today the many that find themselves in family instability would commit today that from this day forward they just leave it behind. No revenge, no trying to bring it to a head, no pursuing conflict or drama, just to leave it and walk away. And then begin to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we'll praise you as you begin to use each of us and make our struggles our message. I ask all this in Jesus' name.